Howdy, and thank you for joining us for All Set for Sunday, a podcast for busy and distracted Catholics to be a little more prepared for Sunday Mass. My name is Scott Williams. And I'm Jeff Trailer, and today we are joined by Father Patrick Hyde, Dominican priest and pastor of St. Paul's Parish in Bloomington, Indiana, in the Newman Center at Indiana University. Today we're going to chat about discipleship and how grace is free, but it's not cheap. And also just figuring out if it's Alicia, Alicia, or a light of whatever. Let's get all set. Now it's time to get all set for Sunday with your hosts, Scott Williams and Jeff Trailer. All right. Welcome to the show, Jeff, Father Patrick. Thanks for um, taking the time out of your day. Father Patrick, we really appreciate you being on the show. Happy to be back with uh, you, Jeff and Scott. Thank you ha- for having me again. Always Jeff, a pleasure to be with you, Father. How the heck are you, Jeff? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I actually, I actually got to get back in my office for one of the first times in the last few months. So I'm recording from my office, which has been kind of nice to have the calm. Before the storm? No, just, just calm. Away from the storm that is my house full of children. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, why don't you take us through the two-minute drill, Jeff? All right. Uh, here we are. Uh, the readings for Sunday, June 28th, the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Uh, our first reading this week, it comes from Second Kings chapter 4, and we hear about Elisha. Elisha, Elisha. Anybody? Help me out here. Either one is fine. I always say Alicia, just oh. to kind of separate it from Elijah. That was so a nice I, way to say neither. Okay. Yeah. Alicia. I, I always do it that way. So that like, cause there is one reading where you have both of them going back and forth and it's very confusing. Okay. All right. Elisha travels to Shunem in this passage. And what we hear is of a local woman who's very kind to him. When he visits, she she enjoys that he comes to visit. She looks forward to his visits and even makes a special room for him and everything. And he eventually rewards this kindness to her by telling her that while she has struggled to be pregnant, that within a year she will receive a son. So we see that reward come from there. The responsorial psalm is Psalm 89. This week, forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. This is one that always sticks in my head uh, from growing up, that tune of forever I will see the goodness of the Lord. Uh, Second reading, Romans chapter 6. And in here we hear a a very clean-cut message, short readings this week, but a clean-cut message of if we are baptized into death with Christ, we must also live with him. That to be baptized into the death that is baptism and us rising anew in him, we must live with him to receive that reward that he's brought to us. And then we move to our gospel reading this week. Our gospel is Matthew chapter 10. Um, And I'll read this here. Jesus said to his apostles, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me, the one who sent me is the one who sent me. Whoever receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. 
And whoever receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones to drink, because the little one is a disciple, amen, I say to you, he will surely not lose his reward. Father Patrick, I was showing Jeff before the before we started, but I got a coffee mug that says "Best Dad in the World," which is pretty exciting. I didn't know that until I was given this mug. Um, but you know, this gospel reminds me how little I am. Just what? But uh, what what are you planning on preaching about this weekend? Well, um, I, honestly, the thing that really kind of has struck me for this weekend is discipleship. Um, we see in the gospel, Jesus lays out a clear cost of discipleship, right? You have to love me more than you love your mother and father, more than you love your sons and daughters. Um, and then, you know, there, so there are costs. You have to take up your costs as well. We also see in the first reading the kind of the path of discipleship. Right? Elisha is going out and he is preaching. Um, you know, he's prophesying. He's healing. He's being, uh, you know, the the vessel that God has created him to be, <clears throat> but he's building relationships along the way, and it is because of that relationship and because he builds this relationship with this woman that he is not a- not only able to have a place to stay and have a relationship with her, but is able to give her even more because of her relationship with him and her openness to what God has in her life. And then, really, ultimately, in the second reading, what discipleship enables and it makes us for, which is new life in Christ. And so that's kind of the basic things that I I have been thinking about in preparation for this Sunday is, you know, the priority of Christ, making following Christ and living in uh, the truth and the goodness of that reality, uh, the most important thing and the entire mission of my life and conforming everything to that and seeing how the Lord provides us a path forward, provides us the resources necessary for it. But ultimately and primarily, he provides us new life within him and through him in order to make that possible. Father, now that we are, uh, churches are opening back up, how how has your mass attendance been? Have you been excited to receive prisoners back? What's that been like for you? Well, it's obviously a great joy and a great blessing to be able to celebrate the sacraments with people again. I mean, that's obviously why we're priests, is to be able to share those with people. We're not priests for ourselves, but uh, for ourselves. But um, I would say, yeah, uh, mass attendance for us is because we're both a Newman Center and a parish. In the summer, it's always at least if it's even half of what it is during the school year, I'd be surprised. Uh, and plus m- the majority of our resident parishioners who come to mass are either vulnerable people. So they're older people or health underlying health issues, or they have really young families. And a lot of those two groups are for prudent reasons, not coming to mass. So we're not seeing a lot of people at mass, but it's good to, you know, to be with people and to pray with people again and to offer them uh, the Eucharist and confession and things along those lines. Um, and just hearing from them, uh, you know, and that's another challenge is that we, we're not really supposed to gather in the church or right, you know, we don't gather in the church, but in our gathering area, our narthex, or what we call our gathering space, um, you know, to create social distancing and stuff like that. So it's it's been kind of hard, like welcoming them back, but then not really having that hospitality, not having that time to, to chit chat and to talk and, and making that possible. But um, it's, it's been a blessing to, to have them back in the church and to just... Um, you know, like I was saying after Mass this last Sunday, I was saying to my, our, our big Sunday Mass for our resident parishioners is 1030. So during the summers, it's our biggest Mass. During the school year, it's our evening Masses for the students. But um, 
I was saying to the deacon that it was the first time I had preached and presided at a sun, Sunday 1030 mass with people in the pews in 17 weeks. And so oh, yeah. uh, that was kind of just, it was beautiful. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, especially on Corpus Christi, I was, well, it was one of the more powerful Eucharistic prayers just to, to be able, thanks be to God. It was our second weekend back to have the people there to be able to celebrate the Eucharist with them. Uh, yeah, it was just powerful. I ask because I see a, in this gospel, it kind of speaking to a little bit of the challenge that, or a big challenge that many people of the Catholic faith are going to have in the coming months as churches open up and we're called to come back when it is safe and when it's responsible that like it's become convenient to not go to mass. And we've had the, the okay to not attend and it's going to be a sacrifice to change that up a little bit and to go just like it has been for people to log on and do that as well. Um, and so I see, I mean, in a very small way, we can talk sacrifices all day. And I think that's a beautiful, it is a beautiful message of this gospel. But I see, I've just been struck during this pandemic and the time we've been recording the podcast, how these messages speak to even this unprecedented event that we're experiencing and and have kind of walked along with us. And I said unprecedented because Scott loves that word. So <laughs> I love that word and pivot. Um those are my two favorites. So, Father, how do you how do you anticipate discipleship changing? Do you think it'll look different post all of this? Because I mean, yes, the beautiful part about like, discipleship is that it's, it's always changing. To be on the follow Jesus is to be on the path of continual conversion and transformation, right? The first thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, repent and believe, right? And the, the word there that he uses, metanoiate, is conversion. You know, have your mind be changed, basically, uh, trend, you know, have your mind transformed. Say that uh, word. So the, what did you say? Metanoiate, we get the word metanoia from it. It's the Greek, it's a Greek imperative verb for you know, repent. We translate in English as repent. Um, but, uh, it's also, you know, the, the Greek word is really, it's about a changing of mind and heart. Um, and so to follow Jesus means to have our life constantly being changed and being opened, uh, in new ways to new things. And I know just in, in ministering to people over these past uh, few months, their lives have changed and changed significantly because, uh, for people who, um, have been coming to mass their whole life, especially the older people. They, I've heard people say, well, I, I kind of took for granted that I could go to mass every day. Or, you know, here in Bloomington, in Bloomington, Indiana, where we are, um, there are three or four masses every single day here in a small in a small Catholic community, especially during the school year, because our outreach to the students. And um, a lot of people said, wow, that you know, I didn't realize how easy it was to get to mass and how much I relied on that until it was gone. Um, and it's a reminder also that uh, I think especially now as we're opening up more and more, we can also put, we can still put God second, right? You know, we'll make extraordinary, we, we can, we can make extraordinary efforts to be with our friends and family. Right. But are we going to mass? Or are we praying every day? I mean, cause you know, you, you have to make prudent decisions. I'm not saying that if you see your family and you don't go to mass, you're a bad person. You don't have that obligation right now, at least in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, but is Christ <clears throat> the center of your life? And that's, that conversion piece of um, discipleship is constantly assessing where is Christ the center of my life and where is he not the center of my life and being willing to make those bold changes, knowing that it's a, there's a price that comes along with it. One of my favorite lines about a, a grace or about salvation is that salvation is free, but it's not cheap. 
right? You know, that Jesus gives it to us freely. We don't earn it, but it's not cheap. At the same time, there's that initial sacrifice. But as Jesus says in the gospel, you know, if you do this, even if you just give me a little cup of cold water, even the poorest of the poor who have nothing, if they're able to give what very basic thing they have, I will give them abundance in return. And so there's that that great reminder that um, I remember when I was uh, thinking about this, thinking back to Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, first homily as Pope, uh, at the very end of it, he echoes what. Uh, St. John Paul II had said in his first homily, where St. John Paul II, as first homily as Pope, had said to young people, open wide the doors of Christ, be not afraid. Uh, Pope Benedict said that, you know, at the end of it, and I'm, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm going to try and quote it as best I can, that we, we, when we follow Jesus and when we try to give our life to him, we fear, we're afraid that we'll lose something of what makes life good, beautiful, true, all those things that we enjoy about life. Um, and we, we, we recognize that there is a there is something we have to offer to the Lord. But when we do that, when we overcome that fear, when we courageously give our hearts to the Lord, we lose nothing of what makes life good, beautiful, and living and, you know, and joyful. In fact, we find more of it. It's the message of sacrificial love and the Absolutely. idea that it, that is the greatest love that we can experience. And so it must, you know, it, I, I was struck when you were talking about salvation isn't, is free, but it's not cheap. It, it speaks to this idea of, I was just having a discussion the other day with, um, a priest about mass times and like parishes that are, you know, using this time to kind of adjust when they're having masses. And you're speaking about, you know, you're blessed to have those three masses a day and how a parish that offers five masses on a Sunday can somehow still anger the hundred people who come to one of those masses if they decide to cancel that one. But it shouldn't be about convenience. It shouldn't be about being easy. It is, it is free, but it, it's not cheap. It costs us something. We have to put some effort in, but that sacrifice, even those little sacrifices of changing what time we go to mass can be so much more rewarding because we've had to work for it because we've had to earn it. When I was growing up, my my brothers and I especially played soccer. And so you go to these travel soccer tournaments all over the Midwest, grew up in St. Louis. And no matter what, Friday night, we'd be checking into the hotel and my dad would be filling out the paperwork. This is in the you know kind of early internet age. So you, we didn't really have Google Maps or cell phones or things like that. And my dad would always ask the person checking us in, where is the nearest Catholic church and what's the mass time on Sunday? Hmm. And no one else on my team, none of my friends, they weren't going to mass. I was like, why do we have to go to mass? And my dad was like, well, this is the most important thing we do. I, it doesn't matter what time your game is on Sunday. We got to go to mass. That's the most important thing. And I, what a beautiful witness that was, right? That, you know, he was willing to say to me, you know, when you know, nobody else was watching, it was just the two of us. Hey, buddy, like I'm calling, I'm doing this for you because I love you because I want something more for you. It's not just like, I want you to be a good soccer player and have fun and win. I want you to go to heaven. I want you to live this life where Christ is, is the most important. And that really when I went to college, that really inspired me. Like, okay, if I'm going to go to college, I'm going to go to wait. Like I mass is always going to be the first thing on my schedule every Sunday. Um, and when we do that, that make that sacrifice, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but the Lord you know, gives us that profits reward. Right. And, that prophet's reward is what we see in the second reading, right? That new life in Christ. We're baptized into his death and therefore we live with him. And I think this is really important for us because we live in a culture, especially now, 
where there's you can never escape what you've done in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, even if your life has totally changed, you've converted, you've repented, we hold people accountable to things that they did 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And it's not to say that justice doesn't demand that we hold people accountable, but at the same time, we have to recognize that as Christians, when we give our life to Christ, we have a future, we don't have a past. Mm. Right. You know, or, or our past feeds into the new narrative of the future. We have to choose death and new life in Christ. And when and Christ gives us that grace. So, yes, those things in my past and everyone's past, we all have a past. Those things are there, but they're not weights that hold us down. That's what guilt does that's you know that it, it holds us down it makes us feel like i'm no better than whatever i did 10 you know five minutes ago or 50 years ago but what it does is it impels us forward okay i recognize the hurt i've caused to myself or to others or the pain that is there or how i've severed my relationship with god i don't want any of that anymore but because christ offers us new life in him i can start using that and say okay i'm going to live this new life in you and that's the path of conversion and discipleship is that we keep following christ and he leads us to something new and to something that we would have never dreamed about when i entered the dominicans the reason i entered is not the reason i stayed right and the ministries that i desired are not the ministries that i'm currently serving in mm-hmm. um, and that's okay because when we give our life to christ and again it's just that little drink of water um you know the last time i was on the show with you guys we talked about those little sacrifices those little things of prayer just doing those little things throughout the day is what helped and the same thing no matter what this that little gift of self to the lord he amplifies it 10, 20, 100 fold. The thing that kept on coming back to me when you were talking about this is how do you balance between, you know, Jesus is listing out here some like conditions of discipleship and it, it doesn't sound like it's going to be easy. You're going to have to pick up your cross, but what makes that attractive? So when you were playing travel soccer and your dad said, uh, we're going to go to mass every Sunday, regardless of where we are, what time, if you're going to miss the first period of the game, whatever, versus when you went to college, what bridged that gap to make that so attractive that that was the first thing on your list? Well, I can't say that it was attraction, you know, because I, I it's, there were times where I, I didn't want it. Right? Would you call it habit? Like, I, yeah, I was, going to mass was certainly, at least initially, was certainly a habit thing, right? That this is just what we did as a family. We went to mass on Sunday. That was the most important thing, no matter what. And so I would say there's that that beautiful part about it, um, you know, but I think as we get into it, and this is why it's so important for us as we've had, as a Catholics, we have this beautiful intellectual tradition, understanding why, like, why do we do what we do at mass? You know, those kinds of things, all of a sudden, like when I started to learn about those things and open my heart to those things and really start to uh, wrestle with the truths of our faith, all of a sudden it became something that was worth sacrificing for. It became something where I realized just honestly looking at my life kind of uh, you know basic discernment I looked at my life with when I was doing this and I looked at my life when I was doing that and I found that when I was living for someone other than myself which was Jesus I was much more happier that I was much happier than when I was living for myself uh, and that's the part of that conversion is just being open to it and it's you know it's a reminder that um, that these gospel or the gospel in particular is that there is an order. <laughs> of things. We are made for God. 
full, full stop, full period stop. You know, like we are made for relationship with God. Everything else is icing on that cake. But the primary reason for our existence is to be in union with God. This is why it's possible. You know, when I enter the Dominicans, people are like, how could you possibly be happy in that life? You know, it's, you know, it's, you have, your calendar is not your own. You don't get to get married. You don't get to have kids. You don't get to have a bank account. You don't get all of these things. It's just like, look, like, and then you visit religious communities and you see the joy that's there. And you would think, based on what most people's principles are, that would be what you experience when you walk into a sports bar on a Friday night. But it's the opposite, oftentimes, right? Um, you know, something you know, later in the night, maybe more joy. But um, you know, the, I think that's the, the the beauty of it is that when we start to really give ourselves away, we start to find this new life. And that's for me ultimately what it was the most attractive was was the newness. You know, St. Augustine says, oh, beauty ever ancient, ever new. When we live with Christ, when we give our life away to him, when we follow him, when we put him first, we find new joys. And you guys can probably talk about that in your married life and life with children, right? You know, initially you're just overwhelmed. You're blown away. You can't, I'm supposed to be happy with this person for the rest of my life when, you know, she never cleans the dishes or this, that, or the other thing. And she probably felt the same way about you. He's not talking about you. I'm speaking to my wife and Scott's wife. He's not talking about you guys, but other wives. <laughs> but like once you start to give and you recognize, okay, there's no limit to my gift because I love you because I love Jesus. All of a sudden those things start to fold into this new beautiful mystery that, you know, allows a couple 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years into marriage to love each other more and to see new possibilities and new horizons um, where everyone else would be like, well, it must be stale and stagnant after all of this time. They're like, absolutely not. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's new. And what you said about the, the people you knew who said, how can you be happy without a wife and kids and, and good job and money and all these things. But time and time again in our society, we see people who have all of those things. And if Christ is not first for them, they're not truly happy either. And they're not experiencing that either. I think you speak about how we experience that in our families. And I, I truly was called back or just transported back almost to the day that my oldest daughter was born, my first child. And when she was born, she had some complications. And immediately upon being born, she was taking, she had to be taken to the NICU. And I, and I always describe to people like, the only way I can describe that moment is here was this person who I loved more than anything on earth, a greater love than I had ever experienced in my wife. But then all of a sudden there was this brand new thing that I had never met, but I all of a sudden loved more and I couldn't figure out why. And I, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to be with my wife who had just gone through this experience and was hurting and in pain and, or to be with this child who I'd never met. And I was running back and forth between the NICU and her room. And I remember stopping to pray. My dad told me to stop and pray. And I did. And in that moment, I realized that as much as I loved these two, I had to love Christ more. And that would be where I would find the answer to all of this. And then everything would be okay, however it played out. If that was my focus and I, and I, and that hit me and I, and I'm not going to say I stopped and like made some personal commitment and that has been that way ever since, because <laughs> I know that there have times been times I've struggled and I've loved the Colts a little bit more in moments or pizza or, and I've forgotten the fact that I have to love Christ first and foremost, but it has always stuck with me in my role as a father, in my role as a, 
as a husband, that that has to be the message I get across to my kids. And I hope that my kids take that message like you did from your dad. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that's, that's, that's the goal, right? And like Alicia invests in this woman, she invests in him. And a greater good comes about it, right? All right. Jesus invests in the apostles. He calls them to something that they don't know. He suffers and dies, rises from the dead, goes up to heaven and sends them the Holy Spirit and a greater good comes about it, right? This new life in Christ is always about what's in front. And that's the beauty of our life as Christians is, you know, St. Paul says elsewhere, right? In First Corinthians, right? I has not seen, ear has not heard what God has ready for those who love him, right? That that's true in heaven, but that's also true here and now. And that's the life of discipleship. And that's the life of saying that, and in my heart and in all of my actions, like this is the thing, right? If Christianity, if my Catholicism really matters to me, everything in my life has to change and has to have the priority of my work. It has to be about serving and honoring and loving God. I'm not going to cut corners. I'm going to do it in a way that glorifies God, that shows people that I respect them and that I love them, right? You know, the, the cure to all the ills of society is new life in Christ. It's fine. And, you know, if, if I'm, you know, we don't, um, recognize the dignity of other human beings, if we don't have a right relationship with Christ and with, God, as a result of that, we're not going to be able to see God in other people. When we do, when we know and love Christ with all of our heart, we can't help but see him and his image in every person, even those who are most vile and most hated, right? We see our enemy no longer as the one to be cast aside, but as the prize, as the beautiful son or daughter of God. And that's the challenge of discipleship. And that's the cross of discipleship is to enter into not only new life with other people, but to enter into new life in Christ, as St. Paul says, through his death. We have to say, I'm forsaking this for something greater. We have to be willing to take up that cross for something greater than ourselves in order to get there, because Christ is inviting us, Christ is offering to us, but there's a means. You know, St. Catherine of Siena and her uh, book, The Dialogues, which is, uh, you know, writings of her intimate union with God, talks about how the, the only thing that connects humanity and God is the cross. That's the bridge. And if we want to go from where we are to be with God, we have to go through the cross every time. There's no other way to get from where I am right here, right now, today, to the next step, except the bridge of the cross. Um, and it's we, we, we avoid pain. We're afraid of pain. We're afraid of suffering. And I'm not saying you have to willingly take on suffering and you have to willingly hate your family. It's just about a gift of self to something greater than yourself so that you can be a better father, a better son, a better friend. I was talking with my best friend from college who's an atheist. And he was te he teases me often. Uh, we, we have that kind of relationship. And he was saying to me about, you know, how he just remarked, or he's remarked how I become a better person by, you know, through this whole Dominican thing. He doesn't believe in what I believe. He doesn't practice what I practice, but he's just like, Hey, like in all of this, I've noticed how you listen to people more. Like you assume the good in other people, things like that. Not as good as I, I'm not as good as I should be, trust me, but I'm better than <laughs> what I was when we were hanging out in college. And that's the goal. 
You know, it's what, you know, it's the, the sad thing is when you see someone who hasn't changed, the glory is when you walk with people. And this is a thing when you're walking with people as they change and inviting them to more, that's the path we take in discipleship. That's the path in leading others um, that we have in all of this, because ultimately we want new life in Christ. Beautiful father, Patrick, this is why we invite you as <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. And I, I was making note that I think it, three or four different theologians or great saints that you just casually worked in their their stuff there. And you do it in such a way that's uh, reachable. We really. And they're not in my notes either. Those just, that just count, that's, you know, the Dominicans, we spend too much time. Re- People say we spend too much time reading, but it, it has a way of coming out through God's grace and for his glory. You talk about bridging the the gap in in the cross, and you know today's gospel. Um, you know, just before what we read today, Jesus says that um, he's going to come and cause division. And I can't help but think about in our culture today how much division there is, and how much just all the pain and heartache that's in the world right now. And maybe I know we're running short on time here, but in a brief way as possible. I know it's not a brief conversation, but how do we be a good Christian today? Sure. That's like asking a Dominican to be brief. Yeah. (laughs) You're asking too much, Scott. I I mean, simply put, tension is a good thing, right? We we think that in order to to get unity – we're going to, we, we have this mindset of consensus where everyone gets on the same page and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but tension is a good thing. I love my parents with all of my heart and to every one time they ever said yes to one of my ideas or requests when I was growing up, they probably said no a thousand times, right? So there was always tension between me and my parents, right? But my for my parents, I didn't realize at the time, it was ordered toward a greater good, right? They're trying to help me make the right decision. They're trying to form me. And sometimes that, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes that means <coughs> stepping in and saying, hey, this isn't for your good. And so no. Um, and I would say one of the things we have to do is recognize that for me to change, for you to change, for our society to change, it's an arduous, arduous path of conversion. It requires a constant commitment to change. And there's the, the old adage, right? Uh, the our story of G.K. Chesterton when he was asked one time, like, what's the biggest problem with the Catholic Church? And there was a series of essays. His response was, I am. Sincerely yours, Gilbert Keith Chesterton, right? right? And so we have to recognize in our own life that one of the one of if not the biggest obstacles to societal change to family change to personal change is my sinfulness is my brokenness is is Christ not being the ultimate center of my life and when we enter into that kind of tension and that challenge we can then walk with other people who are going through that in a much healthier way it's not my way or the highway i'm inviting you into this uncertain, circuitous, difficult path of becoming something new. And just like we know from any experience we have in life, if we want to learn a new skill, if we want to develop, you know, something new in our life, if we want to lose weight, if we want to run a marathon, there's a path that we have to get there. And it's harder and harder and harder to do when we haven't been paying attention to it. 
And so there's just this, this desire to go from A to Z, but to get there, it's being faithful in each subsequent step. My job right now is to be faithful and being in, in faithful responding to what Christ is calling me to do next step. And my goal is still Z, but I'd recognize that they take days, weeks, months, years to get there. So well, that's as brief as I can be on that response. That was pretty darn good. I know that was a loaded question. Um, what can we ask you a couple of dumb questions? These will be a little more rapid yes, fire, please. I'm sure. Now it's time for dumb questions. But I mean, if we're being honest here, pretty much all of Scott and Jeff's questions are dumb. Have found, as I sat down to think about dumb questions for this week, not necessarily a lot having to do with the readings, but I just have a billion dumb questions for Dominicans. So I'm not going to use them all. Everybody can hold on. We'll have more of them. But <laughs> this one, specifically this week, I wanted to talk about, I noticed that in the last few weeks, I saw an announcement that you have been made dean of the Bloomington Deanery. Is that correct? That is correct. First off, let's start with the basis of what is a dean do for a deanery? And can you help everybody understand, uh, and, and my dumb brain, understand like the role of a deanery, the role of a dean within a deanery? Weren't you also just made pastor of your parish? I was. Congratulations <laughs> like, to that as well. <laughs> in the same big swift move? <laughs> yeah. In the same week. God right. provides. <laughs> so in the beautiful way that only you can. The canonical term is a vicar foreign. We we use the term dean. Basically, every diocese is broken up. In, you know, diocese are geographic realities, and then within that diocese, there are smaller geographic realities called uh, uh, vicariates. Right. So, in the archdiocese of Indianapolis, there are, I believe, nine or ten. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Um, and so, the Bloomington Deanery consists of the parishes in Bloomington, Martinsville, and then south down into Bedford, east over to Nashville, and then down in French Lick and Paoli. And so basically the Vicar Forain is, is in church law. There are people who have authority by position of their office, the, the bishop, the local ordinary, and then there are people who have vicarious authority, so they're given authority by the bishop. And so basically I'm given specific tasks by Archbishop Thompson to carry out within the parishes. There are, uh, I think, eight parishes in the Bloomington Deanery. Um, and then to basically look out for uh, and to care for the priests who are assigned here uh, to make sure, you know, if there's a retired priest that someone's visiting him on a regular basis and those kinds of things as well. So are you like in the sense of like the secular world, are you like a union rep for the priests in your deanery? You kind of go to the big meetings and you bring the information back to them and then you represent them back above, like up above. That is a good way of looking at it. Yes. Okay. So it's just more work for you, but I, uh, but you're young and spry. And so well, here's the thing. There's a joke in the Catholic church that, no good deed goes unpunished with less. It always goes punished with more work. So if you do something good, you're just going to get more work out. Of it. So <laughs> I don't know what I've done well to merit more work, but uh, apparently I have done something. So here we are. <laughs> I think many people would agree that you've done things well. And then this leads to the, my, my second dumb question here. Having to do this, it, explain the relationship of your order in the community that is at St. Paul's in Bloomington, which is a parish of the archdiocese. What is your, how 
is your relationship with the bishop? Are you guys contractors like that come in and <laughs> run this parish? Or I, I guess I always thought of them as like separate entities until I saw you named Dean. And then I thought, wait, then now there's overlap. And I'm, I'm curious about that. So as a religious, the only way we operate, we only operate because the the, art, the bishop, the local ordinary, in this case, the Archbishop of Indianapolis, uh, allows us, invites us to serve in his diocese. Um, and so, for instance, my appointment as pastor of St. Paul Catholic Center, the my provincial submits that to the archbishop, but it's the archbishop who makes that appointment, um, you know, at the request and with the advice of my provincial. So we have what we, basically we have two ordinaries, so pe- two you know, supreme people in the archdiocese and matters having to deal with my ministry here in the archdiocese. Archbishop Thompson is his his, you know, he sets the prerogative as a Dominican and our life as friars, my provincial and actually my local superior uh, are the ones who kind of dictate those things. So there's, it's kind of, in a sense, it's a symbiotic relationship that we're brought in here to fulfill a particular task. The Dominicans in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis specifically serve uh, at St. Paul Catholic Center here in Bloomington. Um, But then we can also fulfill task within the archdiocese as we're asked by the archbishop or as others. So, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, typically speaking, it's not, um, it's not the most common thing, but in places where religious communities, regardless Dominicans and otherwise are well established and have a particular ministry, it's not uncommon for one of them periodically to serve in an archdiocesan or diocesan capacity um, as needs uh, arise. Fascinating. Okay. That, that helps. Thank you. Um, I have, Scott, do you have any dumb questions? I have one more. I don't, but I'm 11 years. Why don't you just finish us up here? Okay. All right. My, my third dumb question for today again is, so this popped up in my brain because we were talking earlier about how nice it was for you to celebrate with people and be around people. And many of the priests we've talked to, this time of quarantine was like an unfortunate time of isolation because they live by themselves. Their communities weren't around. Their staffs weren't around. They were all by themselves. But you do live in a community, much like as parents, we live in a community. And I talked before the podcast about how I got to come into work here and have like a little bit of break from my the craziness of my home life um, are in some ways for me during quarantine, it was really nice. The first times I got to go out and like talk to other people and like talk to other adults because I, I didn't, I love my children, but I, you know, I was just ready to talk to others. Are you feeling a little bit of that sense in your own community uh, of Dominicans or not to put you in a bad spot, but I'm no, sure they don't no, listen to you. I don't think they're going to be listening, but anyway, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> Uh, I'm just teasing. But, You're uh, in charge of them. Make them. Uh, I'm in charge of the parish, not the community. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so um, as Dominicans, our fir- we, we, we feel, we believe, you know, our first vocation is to our way of life. Uh, you, know, we, you know, as religious, we have a particular way of life. Ours as Dominicans requires a great deal of community time. So for us, and this is perhaps unique to our community here in Bloomington, I saw it as a very good thing, you know, because it was really we, we spend a lot of time together as community, but also informally sitting around talking, you know, have, you know, just that and the other thing. And um, I would say at this point, you know, as we start to reopen after 17 weeks of just mostly the five of us now six hanging out. 
Um, I like being able to be around other people. I'm a, I'm a social guy like that, but I've never, uh, and obviously you start to see as you're around guys more often, the idiosyncrasies of the brothers come out, but I've seen this last 17 weeks as a real blessing because I became a Dominican, not because I felt a particular call to lead a certain ministry, but because the way of life where we pray together, we study, we live together, there's quiet contemplations, you know, community mass, things like that. Those are the things that attracted me to this life. And the last 16 weeks, there wasn't anything in a sense uh, inhibiting any of us from living that life. So all of us were, you know, when the school year's up and running and we've got a thousands, thousands of students running around, you know, once or twice a week, it's not uncommon to have, you know, just a few guys at prayer or things like that. So I've seen this as a, a real blessing. And I would, I, you know, in, I'm in so far as there are things to be grateful for during a pandemic, this was one of them. I think that's beautiful because I've heard that sentiment echoed by many families as well. It's something I've said a lot that when people say, hey, how are you guys doing? I'm like, actually, it's been kind of great. Like, I've gotten to know my kids at a level I've never thought I would. And same with my wife. And so I think it's interesting to see how your community kind of echoes that family dynamic that many people are experiencing, too. All right. I'm going to stop my questions there. But I've someday I'll do two hours of just Dominican questions. <laughs> Thanks for listening to All Set for Sunday. We hope your children behave during Mass this week.